This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is May 15th. Market's been pretty flat uh, today and, you know, just kind of overall last few few market days. In terms of what investors are digesting today, the Empire State Manufacturing Survey came out, um, showed really a collapse in manufacturing activity in New York. We also see corporate earnings seasons kind of drawing to a close, but we got some major ones scheduled, Home Depot on Tuesday, and then Target and Walmart will be Wednesday and Thursday, respectively. Uh, Tim, yeah, let's just kind of open up the discussion. Why do you think markets are so muted, especially in light of this debt ceiling? You know, I think people are buying into the two narratives. One is that equity earnings have come in better than expected and that the Fed is done. So therefore, the next thing is a cut. And now you're no longer fighting the Fed. Um, I mean, first of all, though, to your point that you just made on that ISM orders, I mean, there is just no two ways about it that manufacturing is in a recession right now. I mean, I don't know how many PMIs, new orders and PMIs, backlogs, ISMs, readings from the different regions in the beige book uh, to make it clear that manufacturing is now in a recession. Hell, you can just look at, at look at diesel demand and look at how really weak diesel demand is so you know that freight is weak. You also know that freight is weak because the freight demand uh, data is terrible. You know, I was listening to Stan Druckenmiller's uh, comments from the Sone conference and, you know, he talked about, you know, a guy who's made 30% a year in 30 years of, of macro investing when he tells you that he loves freight as a leading indicator, you ought to pay attention to that. Freight is a good leading indicator. Diesel's more coincident. Uh, but, you know, manufacturing is really slowing down. But as I said, there is a perception that earnings are better. I think that is kind of a I think I, I think that we do everybody a disservice and I'm not <laughs> it's not my responsibility. But by talking about beats, percentage of companies that beat, who cares how many companies beat? You know, think of look, look at a freight company like night transportation. A few months ago, the street was looking, looking for them to make more than a buck in the first quarter. They put up 76 cents. They had walked the street all the way down to 73 cents. And oh, yay, everybody. Hey, look, night beat the quarter. That's nonsense. Who cares? Mm -hmm. On an absolute basis, NASDAQ earnings for the first quarter are down. And depending on how you look at it on a market cap weighted basis or equal weight basis, S&P earnings were either flat up a tiny bit or down a tiny bit. But there is no two ways about it that earning the earnings deceleration is meaningful. Um, and then and then the other side of it is the Fed, uh, this belief that the Fed is going to be cutting rates in the back half of the year. And I am still in that higher for longer camp. Look, we're getting 14 Fed speakers this week, 14. And I would bet and Goolsby becomes a little bit of a wild card because he, he's already shown that he can be a little bit of a wild card in terms of talking about long and variable lags and maybe we should really be careful here and, 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 and wait for the long and variable lags to kick in. But I would think that if not all 14, 13 out of 14, 12 out of 14, will talk about higher for longer. They will talk about the fact that they do not want to be cutting rates earlier than they need to be. Uh, and I and I think that that'll be the mantra. You know, we my whole speech that I give 
going around the country and I'm sorry if the audio is not great right now. I'm doing this call from a hotel in Salt Lake City. Um, but the Fed is worried about big time, long term supply issues, supply issues, especially in labor. I'm sorry, I always bring it back to that. But, you know, when you look at you look at the jolts data, you know, going through this cycle, we got two jobs for every one person. Well, that job, that 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 data with employment finally really weakening is one and a half to one. So it's still higher than at any other point in history. And the Fed is very much aware of that. If the, I've said this a bunch of times, if the Fed's cutting rates and they're cutting rates aggressively in the back half of this year, it's because we're in a recession and that is not good for equities. So why are we holding up as well as we are? I, you know, I, I don't really know, but I think those are the narratives that are holding things higher. And in terms of volatility, I mean, the VIX is 52 ranges between 15 and a half and really yeah. 35. Right now we're sitting at 17. Um, yeah. So volatility is non-existent. Is that just yeah. everyone's so flux with cash and no one's, you know, getting puts or, or what's the deal yeah. there? The, the the best explanation that I've read around the reason for this really low intraday volatility, well, first of all, on a longer term basis, the market's just range bound. That's going to mm -hmm. bring down volatility. But also, uh, one day to expiry options, ODTE, um, there's an argument that it creates a situation for the dealers who have always obviously got to be on the other side of these of these one day to expiry trades uh there's so much gamma exposure for the dealers that that is is creating a situation where dealers and speculators are kind of balancing everything out and it ends up being a dampener on intraday volatility you know it's it's a theory uh i'm not the best person to explain it have, having never worked in the uh, in the options or derivatives world but some people that I respect, that is their argument as to why the intraday volatility is so low. It has to do with the short-term options, the massive explosion in the amount of these options, and then the dealer gamma that gets involved in having the other side of those trades and the, the kind of risk management for the dealers uh, moving along uh, from day to day and week to week. So Jamie Dimon, I guess we can get into the debt default. Um, you know, he's warned that panic would overtake the markets as we approach default. We're looking really at June 1st as a date. Now, uh, we've we've heard mixed things. Um, Diamond says, you know, the guys at JP Morgan are now moving into multiple meetings per day to kind of mitigate any fallout. We know that in terms of the talks, the president has said that they've been meaningful and constructive. But at the same time, Speaker McCarthy uh, completely disagrees with him. So, yeah, uh, there's a wide, wide berth there. So, yeah, let's let's kind of get into that. Yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> this morning, the headline was Biden optimistic. And then McCarthy came out and was like, yeah, they don't even want a deal. Mm -hmm. uh, look, the point I've made on this is that history is not an awesome guide and the reason why history isn't and i'm not saying we're going to default i'm not saying it's going to be a doomsday scenario but if you're using history as a guide you have to recognize that we have had greater fragmentation by way of greater gerrymandering uh of the political process and the reason why that matters is because half of congressional republicans in the house not in the senate 
McConnell's already said, I want nothing to do with this whole thing. McCarthy mm -hmm. and, and his group in the, in the House GOP have got to deal with it. Half of the House GOP has got to vote for something that Biden will vote for. But half of the House GOP, more than half of the House GOP, is much more likely to lose their race and to lose their seat by being primaried from the right than losing their seat to a Democrat. You know, you have all of these, and it's the same as the truth for the left. You have all, but frankly, the Republicans have simply been better at gerrymandering their states. Um, hell, the New York, uh, the Democrats control New York and they can't figure out how to gerrymander. No. The Republicans do a very good job in the states that they control of gerrymandering them very well. And so, but so that is an important evolution. It, 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 I have trouble imagining the scenario where half of the House Republicans are going to vote for something when they have risk from their right flank to something, to anything that the president would, would, would support. Look, assuming we get something done, and this is the more important part, really, since the handicapping of it is somewhat impossible, I do think there is a, a meaningful part of the House GOP that it would be fine with kind of blowing it up. And I don't mean that they're nihilists, and I don't even mean that they're unpatriotic. I just think that there is a belief in their minds that spending is so far out of control that it's worth it to blow it all up if they can't come to a deal uh, that uh, that reduces spending meaningfully. Uh, so, but but let's assume for a minute that they do get something done. Clearly, there's going to be a lot of brinksmanship. We're going to go past June first. The Treasury will get some extra money into the TGA, the Treasury General Account, that probably allows them to continue negotiating through June without there being meaningful cuts. They're certainly going to keep making debt payments. Um, but ultimately, there's going to be less fiscal spending. Ultimately, that is one of the major outcome out of this. Maybe you'll get the expiry of some Trump-era tax cuts. I doubt it. More than anything, you're going to get cuts in spending. Government is a meaningful part of GDP, and if government at the federal level is going to shrink in terms of the stimulus that's out there, it's another thing that is going to contribute to slowing down this economy in the back half of the year. You can add to that the end of student loan uh, uh, abatement. That's going to start back up in September. So you do have some uh, other pressures that I think make potential GDP, the rate at which we can grow without inflation, lower again. And look, you know what I think? I, I think our potential GDP is probably only around 1%. Look, if mm -hmm. GDP is workforce growth, we ain't got any of that, and productivity, and that's been abysmal, potential GDP is really, really low. So I don't know, That that's my take from, from I, I, could there be a horror show? Yeah, I think there could be. Is that the most likely outcome? Probably not. But the most likely outcome also means that we grow a lot slower and the rate at which we can grow is slower. The only thing I can really decipher from what's been said and what's willing been cut is President vote said, I voted for tougher aid programs, that's in law now, but Medicaid's a different story. Seeming that the Democrats, or at least he'd be receptive to having stricter work requirements for TNF and SNAP and that kind of thing, but that would just be an optic war, of course. I mean, that wouldn't be a meaningful. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So. It does nothing. Yeah.
And I think that, look, you, when McCarthy passed his bill, he basically went to everybody and said, look, I, I know you don't support everything that we've got in here. It doesn't matter. This isn't going anywhere. It's never going to the Senate, much less going to the president. But just sign it. It looks tough. We cut spending. The optics of it are good. But a lot of Republicans who signed that bill said, I signed this, and this is the deal I'm comfortable with. So, look, McCarthy's going to have to get something. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very, very hard for him to pull his caucus with him. So, you know, who knows? There are a ton of outcomes here. All One of which is that McCarthy could lose the speakership. Well, right. I mean, that was his grand bargain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and yeah, so. I mean, he's hanging by a string anyway. Yeah. And in and, and conceding with an incredibly unpopular president isn't going to help him. Mm-hmm. Conceding anything, right? This, this is a GOP that is not looking for compromise, and nor is this president looking to compromise uh, with a gun to his head. No. Uh, it's yeah, lose lose Mexican standoff. <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> I mean, we, so I guess one, uh, one thing in terms of little more upbeat is that inflation has slowed in april that's yep. marked 10 months straight of moderation yep. um so yeah i mean let's 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 get into that i mean core cpi seems to be heightened um but but you know everything's kind of coming off a boil yeah if you look at month over month core cpi you're still running over five percent yeah I mean, you still have too much consumer demand you still have too much wage pressure unless until we see unemployment going higher until we see non-farm payrolls with a negative in front of it, we are going to have too much inflation. Inflation is coming down because demand is coming down. You know, we just have to recognize like Q1 final demand nominally was 7%. Wow. Hey, that's a pretty strong economy. It's the direction and the rate of change that matters. We're coming out of, a, you know, from uh, mid-21 where you had 20% growth in nominal terms. It was wild. I mean, we really went nuts uh, from a monetary standpoint and a fiscal standpoint of printing way too much money, running too big a deficit, spending too much money, and creating this wealth uh, that has held up the economy for as long as it has. The other thing that I always talk about is there's less credit sensitivity among homeowners. Anybody who owns a house at a you know two and seven eighths mortgage, they don't have much credit sensitivity because it doesn't matter to them, they got a 30 year mortgage. You know, the, 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 the long and variable lags really come into play when corporate loans, when term loans, when C&I loans start to roll. You know, Peter Bookvar talks about it a lot. Great economist. Uh, he talks about how every day there's a big company out there, a big builder that has rates going resetting meaningfully higher. And that's why it takes a long time. So, sorry, it's a long winded answer to, yeah, inflation is coming down. But inflation is coming down because slowly but surely and in almost a straight line, a flattish straight line, but a downward trajectory, demand is coming down. Mm -hmm. The mortgage element is interesting, too, because consumer debt just hit $17 trillion uh, in the first quarter. And that's, you know, in spite of mortgage rates sliding a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going through the 2019 levels and you're and especially if you look at it on autos. Um, so I, I do think that the credit part of this cycle, which we haven't had yet, I do think that the consumer credit part of this cycle is going to be a factor. So Goldman Sachs came out with six reasons for a flat and fat equity range. 
Okay. And I think it might be a kind of an interesting and fun exercise to go through your thoughts on the yeah. six. So I'll just kind of spit out the bullets. Uh, first of which we discussed inflation remains sticky. Yeah, inflation. I 100% mm -hmm. agree with that. Inflation is a problem. The Fed knows it's a problem. They got a supply problem with labor. They've been lucky on energy because don't forget, this, this is a global thing. You know, manufacturing is in a recession in Germany. Uh, uh, exports to China are still negative from their big Asian trading partners. Manufacturing has not woken up in China. You don't even have positive, you have de minimously positive copper and materials demand year over year versus shutdown. So, um, you know, there is weak demand globally. Uh, and, and so it, that has helped you uh, on the commodity, especially on the energy side. But if you get any reversal on that, uh, you're going to you're going to have an issue. So everybody who should who listen to me knows that I think that with that inflation is going to be sticky outside of a really deep recession. Second is that investors are pricing in the best of both worlds where inflation moderates um, and falls, but then there's no recession. Yeah, I mean, look, the markets are trading at 4,100. You're at roughly 20 times. So the equity markets aren't really pricing in a recession, and yet the bond market is pricing in several cuts by the end of this year. So if the economy trods along stronger enough that you can still do 100, uh, 200 in, in, in S&P earnings, you're not going to get those cuts, which means that the long end of the bond market, uh, which means that rates long end have to come up, right? If, if the expectation is already for several cuts, we start to price out those cuts. Uh, so uh, it's what I've been saying. Both equities and bonds are wrong, both of them. And that kind of falls into the third reason for the flattened fat, which is that valuations remain too high. Yeah, just just no argument with that. I, I it, it has amazed me, especially among the big fang names, how much growth is decelerated and 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 more and 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 uh, and multiples have expanded. You know, that is incredibly frustrating. You're an analyst at a hedge fund and you're out there saying, you know what, I think that I'm going to short Amazon and I'm going to short Microsoft because I think that. Uh, their cloud services businesses, which have been the big drivers of growth, are going to decelerate by half, are going are to decelerate by 50%. And you get that right and you get the stocks wrong, you just want to slam your head against a wall. <laughs> uh, number four, equi uh, equity volatility. We're looking at the VIX remains very low, as we mentioned early on. And then this just kind of implies a reasonable degree of complacency. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I, I certainly would agree with that. I don't want to be buying stocks at a VIX uh, on the S and P at seventeen. Not, not, not on your life. Uh, earnings growth is not going to be great in coming quarters. I don't think earnings growth is going anywhere. And I think we, we. I'm surprised. I must say one thing that has really surprised me is that the guidance has been as positive as it's been. Uh, I just don't think most companies are terribly macro aware. I don't think they look at a cycle. I don't think they look at 500 basis points of Fed tightening and say long and variable lags, demand's probably going to be coming down. I think they look at their current book of business and they draw a straight line. Though that, even that said, I'm still surprised that revisions weren't weaker. And lastly, uh, market concentration is a problem. We've had 15 companies that have generated 90% of the S&P rally for 2023. Yeah, you know, I've never known anybody who made a lot of money off of breadth statistics. 
but the breadth is wildly, uh, uh, you know, it just, to me, it says something about passive flows that this, that, that it's passive flows, it's 401k flows, uh, that are dominating this market. And I mean, I, I spoke to a guy who was running a mutual fund and he, he was running, he, sorry, he was running the consumer book of a mutual fund. And he goes, the only thing that really matters for me is Tesla. He said, I can be way overweight and underweight, all kinds of names, but they're so small relative to the market cap of Tesla, which right. is, you know, in the, the biggest consumer discretionary name, that that's the only thing that matters. It's kind of wild how these mega caps and I don't and, and you know, have, have kind of taken over the world. Uh, I don't know what it means. I wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't go crazy negative of just using breadth, but I don't, it doesn't look particularly healthy to me. Gotcha. Yeah, and those are the six. Um, anything else that you're thinking about that we might have, you know, left out in our conversation today? You know, I do think that people who care about macro should go and spend the hour to watch Stan Druckenmiller's interview uh, from the Sone conference. It's it's about an hour, uh, but the guy is the best macro guy of of our generation. He's probably right there uh, with Ray Dalio, uh, and and you know some of the things that he talked about are um are consistent with, with 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 what we believe in i mean he really believes in the commodity super cycle uh he believes in a commodity super cycle he believes in an energy super cycle he believes that this long era of give me the cash back under investment and an unwillingness to spend on additional future resources uh is going to be one of the things that drives a commodity super cycle so that's one thing i would uh, encourage everybody to do, uh, and, and, and really pay attention to what the fed is telling you. If we have 13 or 14 speakers come out this year and they say they're committed to hire for longer, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see the long end of the curve, uh, and fed funds futures start to price out some of those cuts in the back half of the year. Well, sounds good. Well, thanks for your time today, Tim, for all our subscribers, you know, thanks for your time as well. We're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.